you are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of the Locked On NBA Season Preview. I'm Doug Branson, a producer here at Locked On and a guest host on Locked On Hornets. I'm going to be your guide as we skip across the country division by division, previewing all 30 NBA teams with the help of our local experts here on the network. Plus, Josh Lloyd of the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world, Locked On Fantasy Basketball, is going to give you waiver wire additions that are going to help your fantasy team this season. Chad Ford of Chad Ford's NBA Big Board is profiling the rookies to watch in each division and rejecting the screen predicts the future. In this episode, we look in-depth at the Southwest Division and one of the most talked-about teams in the NBA, the Houston Rockets. What's going on in Houston? Locked on Rockets has the preview. What's up? Jackson Gatlin here from over at Locked on Rockets here to give you the rundown on all things Clutch City headed into the 2020-2021 NBA season. So first thing first is... The biggest question is what's going on with James Harden, right? You know, is he staying? Is he going? You know, will the Rockets actually get a decent trade package back for him if he leaves? But the best case scenario for this version of the Houston Rockets is to keep James Harden. Because without James Harden, you're basically punting on championship aspirations for this season and future seasons. Now, they might still be a competitive team. They could have, you know, some fun, you know, whether it's a Ben Simmons trade or some other trade where they bring in a young cornerstone type player in exchange for James Harden. Yeah, they might still be a fun team to follow. They could be, uh, you know, a team that's bound for a playoff upset or two, but they're not going to have the same championship aspirations if you get rid of a top five NBA player in his prime. So their hope, the hope of the Rockets front office, the hope going into the season is that James Harden at the helm will buy in a little bit under Steven Silas, new head coach Steven Silas, as well as new teammates John Wall, Boogie Cousins, newly acquired Christian Wood, bringing back a, a couple of the older guys, Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker, that they can gel and that by the trade deadline, give or take, you're looking around the league and maybe the Nets don't get off to a hot start, maybe the 76ers are struggling a little bit, and if the Rockets really hit the ground running, then there's a chance that James Harden realizes that that is actually a better situation for him to be in rather than being traded to the Brooklyn Nets or the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, the worst case scenario for the Rockets is that they come out. James Harden is apathetic. He's, you know, not interested in being there. You know, he puts on his best uh, Vince Carter in Toronto performance, comes out. His averages are atrocious. He's not trying offensively, defensively, and he's just submarining the entire season because he doesn't want to be there anymore. If he doesn't buy in at least a little bit, then the Rockets season is basically over because they need James Harden to be James Harden. But I do think that you're looking at this team and on paper, this version of this Rockets team has a chance to be much more dynamic, much more versatile than teams in the past. So, you know, as far as their changes offensively, defensively, you're looking at Steven Silas, a guy who was the pioneer, the the genius behind the Mavericks, who had the best offense in NBA history this past season, and he's stepping into the head coaching role. And so 
chances are they're not going to make too many changes from what Mike D'Antoni was doing offensively. Silas has spoken a lot about wanting to push the pace uh, this upcoming season and really get out and transition and find those easy opportunities to score. Um, and we've seen James Harden flourish in both a system that was you know a lot slower and operated more in the half court for a couple of years under uh, under Mike D'Antoni alongside Chris Paul. We've also seen him that first year with Mike D'Antoni as well as this past season with uh, backcourt running mate Russell. Russell Westbrook, we've seen him thrive in a fast-paced offense. So James Harden can play either way. He can play slow and methodical. He can play fast and fast and loose in transition. And it seems like that is the direction that Steven Silas wants to go offensively. Now, defensively, Silas has spoken about this team and the fact that now that they have some more traditional bigs uh, in store, Christian Wood, who will probably be the de facto starting five for the Houston Rockets, as well as DeMarcus Cousins, whose minutes will probably be monitored coming off the bench as he is uh, going to be eased back into NBA-level action uh, as he's continuing to make sure that that Achilles is as strong as possible. Um, He is going to probably play anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes a night, but with two legitimate bigs, then you're actually going to see the Rockets operate in a new way defensively. They're not going to keep that switch everything system that they've become so known for throughout the entirety of the Mike D'Antoni era. They'll still operate a little bit, you know, they'll still switch a little bit, but they're going to have different looks defensively is something that Silas has been speaking about, going so far as to say that about 80% of their time in training camp, they've been focusing on things defensively rather than offensively. So that's something important to uh, take note of right there. Now, as far as who's career trajectory is probably most impacted this season for good or for worse. Um, It has to be James Harden. Looking at what's transpired this offseason, the trade request, the, you know, moving on from Russell Westbrook, uh, you know, the the idea that he may not even want to be in Houston, all the drama surrounding his actions going into training camp, being late for training camp, um, everything going on surrounding James Harden uh, is poisoning his image in the eyes of Rockets fans everywhere. And depending on how this saga eventually ends, will definitely either leave a, I think personally it's left a black mark on his resume as a Houston Rocket. But at this point, there's still a chance for him to redeem himself. Maybe, like I said previously, that if he starts the season with the Rockets and and buys in and realizes this is a place that is still capable of winning a championship if they get off to a good start this season, then maybe he can make amends and you know, be competitive with the Rockets and, and and double down and realize that Houston is the place that he wants to spend the rest of his career. And there's a comparison there. Uh, Kobe Bryant demanded a trade from the LA Lakers and they turned around, they traded for Pau Gasol, they put the right pieces around him, they made it to the finals that first year after the trade demand, and then they went on to win back-to-back titles the following two seasons. So there is a precedent there for a player, a star player, who demanded a trade request and wanted to leave out, was done with an organization, and then the organization turned around and made the right moves to put a contender around a top player. So maybe that's what happens with James Harden, maybe not. Maybe he will be a Brooklyn Net before the season's over, maybe he'll be a Philadelphia Philadelphia 76er. It's too tough to say right now, but we've got to see how the season plays out before we can make a guess. And as far as how this season ends, it's too much up in the air. It all hinges on James Harden and what ultimately he decides that he wants for the rest of his career. So be sure to check out Locked on Rockets for all things Clutch City as we navigate this uh, very interesting upcoming Rockets season. Luka Doncic seems poised to launch the Dallas Mavericks back into title contention. 
But does it all hinge on the status of Kristaps Porzingis? Here's Locked On Mavs with a preview of the Mavericks. All right, I'm Nick Angstead, and this is Isaac Harris of the Locked On Mavericks podcast. The biggest storyline heading into the season for the Dallas Mavericks, Luka Doncic. It just controls my entire world right now. I try to type the word Luke into any of my, you know, devices, my computer, my phone, anything, and it just automatically autocorrects to Luca. It's just it's taken over everything about me. He's the MVP favorite according to Bet Online. And it's just he's the guy, right? He is he is the bona fide. He was number four in MVP voting last year. And he just he runs the ship. He controls the floor and the ceiling of this team. And everything just runs through Luca. And the Mavericks are cool with that. And they set up a really good hierarchy for it. And it's all about making everything best for Luca at this point in the season. And best case scenario, I mean, Luca wins MVP. Yeah, I mean that has to be. I mean, we're basically. I mean, we we are locked on Mavericks, but we're basically locked on Luka Doncic. That's what we are. I mean, we talk about Luka all the time. Uh, but when you have a top five player in the league at the age of twenty one, then you're going to talk about talk about Flex him every him. single day. <laughs> yes, all the time. Uh, but yeah, best case scenario has to be centered around Luka that he does uh, win the MVP this year and that he goes from finishing top five to actually winning the award. But I know we're supposed to stay away from the health angle to this, but I think another best case scenario is. The health of, you know, Kristaps Porzingis, about him playing the majority of the season. He's setting out the beginning of the season, still recovering from the knee injury. And if he comes back, best, best case scenario, he comes back in January and he plays the majority of the season and he's ready for the playoffs. Absolutely. If he doesn't have any setbacks, that's best case scenario, I think. He's not going to start the beginning of the season. They expect him to start working his way back and be ready for January. He thinks he's ready now, but the coaching staff, medical staff all believe that he'll be ready around January. So he'll, he won't miss a ton at the beginning of the season, but he is going to miss some. So if he doesn't have any step, setbacks, and then I think all the role players have to fit in. The Mavs made some additions. Josh Richardson, the big one, James Johnson, and then all the guys that they're bringing back, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian, Maxi. Worst case scenario for this team, you know, if things all start going wrong, like Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian, Maxi Kleba, all those guys were like close to 40% three-point shooters last year. And that was kind of an anomaly for their careers a little bit. And so if they regress in their shooting, all of a sudden you you traded Seth Curry for Josh Richardson, who's a worse three-point shooter than Curry, and you added James Johnson and You've got you know a bunch of these rookies, and all of a sudden, if this team doesn't have enough shooting, that's a, that's a real big problem. Josh Richardson doesn't fit in as well if he you know starts looking like Philadelphia Josh Richardson. The Mavericks are trying to put the ball in his hands too much. If you know Porzingis is out and Luca's on the bench and he's floundering in that role, if James Johnson is past his prime, he can't contribute anything. If all the rookies, the Mavericks have three rookies that they're probably going to have on the roster. If none of those guys can contribute right away, then that's kind of worst case scenario for this team. But those additions are what makes this team different both offensively and defensively yeah I mean you look at the rookies that they brought in you look at the Josh Richardson move uh, you know when you look at how I mean this team was the number one offense in the league last year historically also but defensively 18th in the league last year in defense they won on day one of training camp Rick Carlisle said on a zoom call with us reporters and media in Dallas saying defense 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 this was their number one thing focus in training camp of we want to improve defense we want to get into the top half of the league preferably a top 10 defense in the league because that's the sweet spot can you be not just a top 10 offense but can you be a top 10 defense too so that's the big focus and all of the offseason moves of James Johnson Josh Richardson drafting guys like Josh Green and Tyler Bay 
those are the type of moves of trying to get better defensively in Dallas. So it's going to be a, a whole different look for Dallas defensively. Defensively, it'll definitely be a different look. Offensively, it still all runs through Luka. I mean, you're going to have a couple of different pieces here and there that are going to be different, but it runs through Luka. He runs the whole offense. They, they share the ball, and Porzingis is going to get his touches too when he's in. And that's the player I think that his career trajectory could be impacted the most this season. Porzingis can be either labeled a complete injury liability fraud, you know, whatever label you want to give him. If he somehow misses the entire season, if something else happens, he has a setback or anything like that. Porzingis' injuries could be a big thing for him this season. Or he comes in, he plays most of the games, he looks like an all-star, he maybe becomes an all-star if the Mavericks are good enough. If Luka can win MVP, then Porzingis can definitely become an all-star, right? If the team is that good that he's up there in MVP. So Porzingis either becomes, you know, oh, he's back to being the unicorn again, which he looked at times last year when he actually played last year. He was incredible. So his trajectory could either be, you know, he's on the verge of being, you know, an all-star, perennial all-star type player, or he's a liability and the Mavs can't play him at all. So our best guess at how the season ends is we... We like to edge on the side of optimism and say that KP is going to play, Luka is going to get close to MVP or win it, and the Mavericks are going to win the equivalent of 50 games, which I think is like 43 or something like that with this shortened schedule. Yeah, I think that that's the case. I mean, if we're being the optimist here, we're hoping for a majority healthy, fuller season of KP and that another step, if that's even possible for Luka Doncic and for them to get close to that 50 win mark, whatever that looks like now to get to the second round of the playoffs. I think at the end of the year, I think they finished top five in the Western Conference. And I think you see this Dallas team taking another step in the careers of these young guys and they advance to at least the second round. But watch out. Because this Mavericks team has what it takes. If they're fully healthy, they can make a deep run in the playoffs. Coming up, we hear from a team that may have the most young potential in the NBA, a team that is no longer grinding, and a team looking to restart a historic playoff streak. Pelicans, Grizzlies, and Spurs up next. But first, I don't know who needs to hear this, but here you go. You deserve to feel better than you do today. And you can with Headspace. They make meditation simple. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Three minutes, that's all it takes. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you, on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. All 
Hi guys, it's Josh Lloyd here. We're looking at waiver wire targets in the NBA's Southwest Division. Uh, for Dallas, with Kristaps Porzingis unlikely to be ready to begin the season and Dwight Powell recovering from an Achilles injury. Now, Powell is going to be ready. He's a waiver wire target too, but I really like Maxi Kleber here. Kleber can come in, he can shoot threes, he can block shots, and he's going to get a heavy dose of minutes while Porzingis is out. So he's an interesting guy. They might decide to go with Willie Cauley-Stein as well. Um, so he'd be a name to watch if they do start him. But if Powell is healthy, I think Powell gets the nod over Cauley-Stein there. If we look at the Pelicans, um, JJ Reddick's the name of interest to me. I don't know whether they'll start him or bring him off the bench, but his ability to be a high-volume, high-percentage three-point shooter has great utility in fantasy basketball as a streaming option at the very least or as a guy that you can roster in a lot of cases, but he's going to have some significant value on this Pelicans team that does need some shooting in their lineup, so he's a name to watch. For the Memphis Grizzlies, I really like De'Anthony Melton, a guy that they invested heavily in in restricted free agency. He's going to be coming back. He's going to be off the bench, but his ability to generate steals and to get assists in those limited minutes is really, really valuable. And I think that mixing him with Ja Morant instead of Dylan Brooks is probably an avenue for them to get better. So Melton's that guy that just watched to see what his role is. But if it starts pushing to 25 a night, then he is definitely going to be a fantasy basketball asset. For the San Antonio Spurs, a lot of questions about how they're going to run things. So much talk about, hey, in the bubble, we ran a lot of young players out here. And the old guys need to adapt. So does that mean that we're just going to be getting a lot of players like uh, Keldon Johnson? Because if so, he was amazing in the bubble. He is going to be a name to watch for fantasy. Guys like DeJounte Murray and Derek White already are going to be on rosters regardless. But Keldon's a guy to look for. And also, if they decide to give more minutes to Jakob Pertl, he is an absolute permanent fantasy beast. If he was to play 25 a night, he'd easily crack the top 80. So while he's probably not a must-add player, given they're going to go smaller and play more LaMarcus Aldridge at center almost exclusively, and that limits Pirtle's opportunities there. But if they do go with him, or if Aldridge is hurt, or if they just trade Aldridge out of the blue, watch for Jakob Pirtle, a really good option there in San Antonio. And then in Houston, it's a little bit harder to find waiver wire guys with the way that team's currently structured. But Daniel House had some good value last year. Now, he is a little bit persona non grata in Houston at this point with some of his bubble antics, but he can be a useful option. And the name to watch, just see if he slides in drafts as well as DeMarcus Cousins. We have obviously very little faith in his health. Torn ACL, torn Achilles, torn quad muscle that has basically ruined his last two to three years in the NBA. But Cousins, even in 25 minutes, is a fantasy viable player. He can play next to Christian Wood. He can play behind Christian Wood. There's a ton of value in Cousins as a late pick or as a waiver wire ad for the Houston Rockets. And that does it for the uh, Southwest Division for fantasy basketball ads uh, that could be, could be there for you off the waiver wire. Thank you very much, Josh. Make sure you're checking out the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world that is Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Now we take a trip down to the bayou where the New Orleans Pelicans feature one of the NBA's oddest juxtapositions. You've got an exciting young core matched with a new coach that has an old school flair. Here's Locked On Pelicans with more. Hey everyone, Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast here, ready to give you the rundown on the Pels as we head towards the start of the season. The biggest storyline for the Pelicans is always going to be Zion Williamson, and the question right now is, can he be that dominant guy that we saw at Duke over the course of a whole year? He played last year, and he played incredibly well, and he showed flashes of all of the hype that he had coming into the NBA as the number one overall pick. But it was a shortened season due to injury. Those injury concerns have lingered. And then in the NBA's restart in Orlando in the bubble, he did not look like himself. He looked out of shape. Questions about his weight came back up. And the biggest storyline going into the year is, can all of that be put 
put to rest. Can he play a full regular season in the NBA and bury those concerns about his weight and conditioning? The early word out of Pelicans training camp is very positive. He passed his conditioning test with flying colors. He himself has said he has no restrictions whatsoever in practice, and I expect you'll see the best of Zion Williamson this coming NBA season. And he's going to live up to the hype that made him the number one overall pick coming out of Duke just a year ago. So what needs to happen for the Pelicans to have their best case scenario this season is they improve massively on the defensive side of the ball. They struggled to slow teams down in transition last year, giving up way too many fast break points. And when they did play half court defense, opponents were able to grab offensive rebounds and get those easy second chance points against them. Pelicans are going to need to focus on rebounding more, getting back in transition defense to slow down opponents. Otherwise, any addition they made, Zion's improvement, re-signing Brandon Ingram is going to be all for naught. That is the only way that they are going to be able to achieve their best case scenario. But they brought Stan Van Gundy in for this very reason, to instill some discipline and accountability to this young group of players. They have the fifth youngest uh, age in the league. And if they're able to do that and start to make marked improvements on that side of the ball, I expect to see the Pelicans at least fighting to some degree for a playoff spot. What leads to the worst case scenario for the Pelicans is, of course, if they don't improve on that side of the ball. They still want to be a lethal transition team, but as Stan Van Gundy said at his media day availability, you can't do that if you're inbounding the ball after the opponent gets a basket. You've got to get stops. And otherwise, the Pelicans will struggle in half-court offense as they've done before since they don't quite have the personnel for that. And so if they're not getting stops, they're not necessarily going to be able to score at an efficient rate, and that's going to lead to a long slog of a season for Zion and company here. I know this is cheating. We're not supposed to say injuries, but also, yeah, an injury to Zion, if he is out of shape, if he's only able to play in bursts or if he only has a, if he does have a minutes restriction, that is going to lead to the Pelicans struggling as well. Offensively and defensively, the team should look significantly different, I think. You'll see them play a little bit more in the half court than they did. And while they've struggled there, adding in a guy like Eric Bledsoe, who's very aggressive off the dribble, letting Lonzo Ball accept more of an off-ball role and as a spot-up shooting uh, specialist, he can space the court for Zion Williamson. Brandon Ingram, with his max contract now in tow, I think realizes he's the focal point of the offense and you'll see things run through him a little bit more, which should help the Pelicans in the half court, but they're going to be their best running, getting out in the break after a defensive stop. And really to see them improve on the defensive end shouldn't be tough. They were one of the worst in the league last year. And if that accountability, if that drilling down in practice that they're doing right now and focusing on it and having a new messenger and a new head coach in Stan Van Gundy just wakes this team up a little bit, you should see them improve on that and play with a little bit more hustle than you saw last year, which should lead to some very good results. The player whose career trajectory is most impacted this season, either good or bad, is Lonzo Ball, and it could go either way, and honestly, I am not sure which. He had a ton of hype coming into the league. He has all of the talent there, but he hasn't been able to put it together over his first three seasons in the league. Now he's entering that pivotal year four where he's going to be a restricted free agent and up for big money, which he's going to want to try and earn. He improved last year. He became a very credible three-point shooter and an actual threat that opponents needed to guard. That's a marked difference from his first two years in the league, but he's not quite that prototypical point guard that you'd like to see. 
He does not attack the basket and create for others that way. Very good at passing around the perimeter. Very good at finding at times open men. But when you look at his assist uh, percentage to pass rate, it's lower than those elite point guards in the league. He needs to become a playmaker, a creator, if he really wants to earn that big contract and be the focal point point guard of an offense in the NBA. He's good in transition. In the half court is where he struggles if he's not shooting the ball well. And I think he wants a larger role than just being that spot-up shooter, that court spacer for a guy like Brandon Ingram or Zion Williamson. Defensively, he's above average, but hasn't been that elite force that you would have wanted to see from him. If he can force a couple of more steals, disrupt things on the perimeter a little bit more, he could be a really, really good player and close to a max kind of guard and restricted free agency next season. But if he doesn't do that, I'm not quite sure what his role is going to be in the NBA going forward, other than maybe a guy off the bench or a guy that can at least move the rock around a little bit if he's not necessarily creating for others. He's got a lot to gain or lose coming up this season. So how's the season going to end for the Pelicans? You know, the West is tough. And with that many competitive teams out there and the Pelicans may be taking a step down talent-wise, losing guys like Drew Holiday, even Derek Favors, though they replaced him with Steven Adams, they've still got a long way to go. And these young guys really need to make big leaps this season if they want to be a solid playoff contender. I think you'll see it to some degree, but I don't see them in the top eight right now in the Western Conference. I think they do end up fighting for that ninth or tenth spot. And if if they kind of peak at the end of the regular season, I could see them winning that play-in tournament and then losing in the first round. I don't see this team in the second round of the playoffs this year, but I think they have enough talent to at least be in a puncher's chance of getting in. So I like them as either the ninth or tenth spot. And if all things are going well, wouldn't be shocked to see them in as the eighth seed. So there you go. If you want to know more about Zion Williamson and crew here, make sure you check out the Locked on Pelicans podcast. And I'm the host, Jake Madison. And you can follow me on Twitter at Nola Jake. Coming up on this edition of the Locked on NBA season preview, Chad Ford is going to tell you which rookies to watch out for in the Southwest Division. And we've got two teams left who are both shifting strategies, Grizzlies and Spurs up next. But first, I want to tell you about Built Go. And Built Go is made by the same group that brought you the world's fastest growing protein bar, Built Bar. Built Go makes you the best you at whatever you do. It's going to help you break through your wall, whether it's a mental or physical wall. Break through it with Go every day. It comes in easy to take one and a half ounce packages that you can put in your briefcase, your golf bag, or just put it in your pocket. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's five-hour energy without that same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for the body. It comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter honey, chocolate coconut, or chocolate mint. Built Go combines energy gel with collagen protein. Collagen protein is fast-absorbing, so it gets into your system fast. Plus, it's easy on the stomach. Built Go kicks in and helps you keep going strong with B6, B12 vitamins. Visit BillGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED and you're going to get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BillGo.com. Let's go! I'm Chad Ford, host of Chad Ford's NBA Big Board Podcast, and these are the rookies to watch in the Southwest Division. And it starts with the San Antonio Spurs who drafted Devin Vassell, 
the wing out of Florida State, one guy that I was really high on and a lot of the guys that did the analytics loved because he is such a modern NBA wing in that he can shoot the basketball, he can put the ball on the floor a little bit, um, he can score in multiple ways, and then defensively he can guard twos, threes, maybe even ones in certain situations. And a guy that just has so much versatility to his game, shot the ball really well for Florida State. He just all around was a very, very solid prospect. And I think a guy who's going to be really helpful to San Antonio. The Pelicans drafted Keir Lewis Jr., a guy who I think may be the fastest guard in this draft. He's just a blur uh, going downhill. A guy who also actually shot the ball pretty well. And even though he was a sophomore out of Alabama, was younger than many of the freshmen uh, who played the game. And you look at what the Pelicans did by trading away Drew Holiday. And I know they brought in some veterans, but long term, I think they're figuring out that playing Lonzo Ball with another point guard is really helpful. These are very different types of players. And I think that they're trying to round out their backcourt in the long term. And I really like Lewis Jr. I thought the Mavs also had a really, really great draft night. They drafted a couple of prospects that I think would be really interesting for them. Josh Green, a guy who is a three and D wing. He's more D than three right now. Defensively, I think he can get after it and and guard multiple positions on the floor, which is going to earn him minutes in Dallas right now. But he has an emerging jump shot. He's actually also a really good passer and a really good athlete. If he can get that jump shot going, I think he could be a really intriguing prospect and just a freshman out of Arizona. So plenty of time uh, to continue to develop. And then Tyrell Terry, the freshman guard out of Stanford, who drew comparisons to Seth Curry, Steph's brother. And Seth Curry, as you know, played on the Mavs, was traded on draft night. Now he comes in to do essentially the same thing, which is just to shoot the lights out. He can handle the ball a little bit, plays point guard, not the quickest guy, not the most athletic player, but really, really can shoot the basketball. And then also check out Desmond Bain, who was the last pick in the first round. He went to the Memphis Grizzlies. Bain just was awesome last year as a senior. And, you know, seniors aren't very sexy, but this guy shot 44% from three, can defend multiple positions, um, really can get the ball to the basket as well. He's not an elite athlete. He doesn't have that elite link. Those are the things that really worked against him. But a lot of people think that Bain is one of those guys who can come in as a glue guy, as a six man, and make an impact right away off the bench. And he could be a really interesting fit in Memphis. You've been listening to Chad Ford. If you are interested in the 2020 draft or the 2021 NBA draft, check out my podcast, Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you very much, Chad. In German, it's Ja. In Memphis, it's Ja. Ja Morant has Grizzly fans forgetting grit and grind and looking forward to flash and fury. Let's go to Locked On Grizzlies for a preview. Hello, my name is Sean Coleman, and I am the host of the Locked on Grizzlies podcast, your daily podcast source for the Memphis Grizzlies. It is my pleasure to be a part of the season preview through the Locked on NBA show here on the Locked on Podcast Network. And thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in. Just like y'all are. Everybody here in Memphis and myself, I can all confer- I can confirm we all are very excited about the start to the NBA season, especially with the success that the Grizzlies had last season. Finding the future and present face of their franchise in John Morant, emerging as a surprise playoff contender, and just the general progression of a roster that many consider or many around the NBA consider to be one of the best young cores, you know, for the future in the NBA. That is what we are excited about here in Memphis. 
We're excited to see that it happened last year, but we also certainly are hopeful that we can continue to capitalize off of it going into this season. And I think that that's the biggest general storyline for this team. You know, can it emerge as a a playoff contender once again? Well, the Grizzlies players certainly expect it. From the mouth of Dylan Brooks himself, hell yeah, they expect to be a playoff contender. But for them to be able to do that, I think a couple of things have to have in place. And so the biggest storylines for the Grizzlies this season, what is... How can this depth of theirs make an immediate impact, and how can they improve in the areas of defending and shooting the three? Well, the reason why those two areas are so critical, especially to start the season, is because of who the Grizzlies are going to be without. They're going to be without their best perimeter defender in Justice Winslow, and they're also going to be without their most productive shooter probably for a month, in Jaron Jackson Jr. So the Grizzlies are going to need immediate contributions from their talented youth. Now, that's what's going to determine the best and worst-case scenarios for the Grizzlies as the season progresses. If this youth can provide immediate impact as far as finding a starter next to Jonas Valanciunas in the front court between uh, Brandon Clark and Kyle Anderson, one of them stepping up as a starter while the other remains a an, an advantageous front court front court piece off the bench. If that development works out, that's a boost for the Grizzlies. Their young depth in the backcourt between Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, Grayson Allen, uh, Tyus Jones, and DeAnthony Melton, they need multiple reliable options that can shoot to emerge from that group to support John Moran. They also, as a unit, need to play together to be somewhat effective, limiting the looks from the opposition when it comes to shooting the three. So if the Grizzlies' backcourt can provide some sort of consistency when it comes to shooting, and the Grizzlies front court can stay productive even without Jaron Jackson Jr. being in the equation, that certainly is a best-case scenario. A worst-case scenario for Memphis is if their depth struggles to make the impact that's needed. Maybe the rookies struggle in their transition to the NBA. Perhaps players last year that made clear progression in terms of their careers, maybe they stall or take a step back, or Jaron and Justice were to have lingering health effects. If more than one of those scenarios winds up not working in the Grizzlies' favor, that's a worst-case scenario, and they probably find themselves in a hole that's going to be hard to dig out of to truly emerge as a playoff contender. So how the, the immediate impact of the Grizzlies' youth, I think, is what determines their best and worst-case scenario going into the season. But, of course, part of that responsibility falls on... Um, Taylor Jenkins and his coaching staff. He's got to put his depth or any of his players, no matter how talented they are, in positions to succeed. Now, that means that the offensive and defensive schemes for the Grizzlies are likely going to remain pretty much the same that they were last year. The Grizzlies should continue to feature their strengths on offense production in the paint, and on the fast break. They also should try to be very aggressive and opportunistic on defense to get as many possessions out on the run as possible. Well, to add to that, they need to use their strengths and play off of them, utilizing their uh, you know elite passing ability as a team. They need to use their abilities in the paint and on the fast break to set up high percentage looks from distance, especially from three. If the Grizzlies can penetrate into the lane, if they can get to the rim consistently, then they can use their passing to set up open looks from three, and if the Grizzlies can consistently feature that part of the offense, it allows for the offense as a whole to be more consistent and productive and really allows for this team to be competitive with anyone. On defense, if they can get long rebounds, create turnovers, disrupt the flow of their opposition, it gets them out on the run more often during the game, and that really plays to the advantages of our roster. So being more aggressive on defense as well as being more consistent with good high percentage looks from distance on offense, I think are going to be some differences this year that hopefully the Grizzlies will get better at. 
Up and down this roster, there are many players who really could benefit from having a good year, both veterans and young players alike. But I don't think a player on this roster has more riding on this season than Justice Winslow. The Grizzlies owe Justice Winslow $13 million this season. They also have a team option for him in the 2021-2022 season. If he comes back healthy and he can make a difference both on defense and being a secondary creator and reliable shooter on offense, he certainly is worth the investment. But if he struggles to come back from injury or really doesn't emerge as being any different than maybe a DeAnthony Melton or a Kyle Anderson in terms of his overall value, the Grizzlies could decide to decline his option and, and have the financial flexibility you know, for what should be a very exciting 2021 offseason. How Justice Winslow performs this year really could impact what his future outlook is like. If he performs well, he gets more guaranteed money and is a clear part of a team's future. If he struggles, he gets his option to declined and now he's looking at a prove it deal you know in a very crowded 2021 offseason so justice winslow has a lot riding on his performance this season Overall, I think that this Grizzlies roster certainly progresses. I think you continue to see them take a step forward to being a sustainable winner and hopeful title contender towards the middle of this decade. However, I think at the end of the day, they win between 30 and 35 games. They do find themselves in a play-in position either in the ninth or 10th spot, but again, fall short ultimately of getting in the playoffs. Yes, that'll be disappointing, and yes, it'll be frustrating to see, but building off last year, the great thing about this season is there really is no bad outcome. If we make the playoffs, that's wonderful for this roster. If we don't, we get a lottery pick and a very strong draft to add a solid asset to, again, one of the best young rosters in the NBA. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoy the rest of these season outlooks. You can find the Locked on Grizzlies podcast anywhere you find your podcast. And until next time, we'll talk to you soon here on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. And now we visit a team that dominated this division for many, many years but are now in the midst of a transition to a new era of Spurs basketball. What will that look like? Let's go to Locked On Spurs for the answer. Hey everybody, this is Jeff Garcia of Locked On Spurs. Perhaps the biggest storyline for the San Antonio Spurs heading into the new season is the youth movement with Popovich all but signaling that it's time to turn the page in San Antonio and get the young core going and what hopeful would be a return to NBA dominance. The Spurs are going to be looking to the young guys such as DeJounte Murray, Lonnie Walker, Kelton Johnson, Derek White, etc., etc., to help build them up for the rebuild that is about to happen in San Antonio. Perhaps the best case scenario for the Spurs is is that the kids actually do develop into all-stars and great uh, players for the team where they can knock on the playoffs door. Let's face it, the West is stacked right now with teams on paper better than the San Antonio Spurs. But with the Spurs showing that their young core can play something pretty good out in Orlando in eight games, can that translate into a regular season? That is about to happen soon for the Spurs. I think the best case scenario is that these uh, players do develop. They become legit players in the NBA. And maybe, just maybe, the Spurs consider dangling them out there and flipping them uh, for better players that are established in the NBA where they can help speed up that rebuild in San Antonio. I actually don't think there is a worst case scenario other than, you know, I mean, I just say at the end of the day, I don't think there's a worst case scenario for the Spurs. You know, if they don't make the playoffs, well, that's kind of expected. Uh, this is a very young team, a very novice team, still wet behind the years. I don't think that uh, there can be a worst case scenario. I think everything is just more 
best case scenario for San Antonio, best case the the young core develops, best case they make the playoffs, best case they bottom out and they get a high position in the draft. So I really don't think there's a worst case scenario for the Spurs heading into the new season. You know, defensively, the Spurs have made a 180 heading into the new season. Last season, defensively, the Spurs were one of the worst. Uh, just teams were scoring on them at will. This year, heading into the new season, it looks like the Spurs are trying to address that, especially in the draft. You got guard Trey Jones, um, ACC Defensive Player of the Year, Defensive Honors. They drafted Devin Vassell, another defensive guy, a 3-and-D guy that the Spurs are um, lacking right now. They re-signed Yaka Pirtle, one of the better rim protectors, uh, paint guys that this team has. You can bring in a guy like Drew Eubanks, re-sign him, another tough, gritty guy that's willing to do the dirty work on the defensive end. So I think you're going to see a different mindset on that side of the court for the Spurs this upcoming season. So defense has turned dramatically into uh, a positive. Now, offensively, they're still going to be potent. You still have DeMar DeRozan. You still have LaMarcus Aldridge, double-double guy. You still have Derek White, who blossomed into a great uh, two-way player. And offensively, he can... He's now showing he can knock down the three. They did take a little bit of a slide back, losing three-point specialists like Brent Forbes, who left to Milwaukee, Marco Bellinelli, who went to go play overseas in Italy. But I think their Spurs are going to make that up with other players contributing. Patty Mills seems to be a man possessed to prove that he still has what it takes to be an impact player in the NBA. He's been very vocal about that this offseason and in um, training camp video sessions with media. All in all, I think offensively and defensively, the Spurs have improved from last year. You can point to Kelton Johnson as being the one guy whose trajectory is on an upward spike. And it is. It is. And I think we'll see what he is made of this upcoming season. But uh, one player that has to show something this upcoming season is Lonnie Walker. Uh, He, by his own admission, is very inconsistent. Um, Consistency is something that he needs to improve on. He had a great breakout game versus uh, the Rockets last year, overtime win for the Spurs. But after that, he was up and down. So I think we don't know. We do not know his identity yet as a player. So Lonnie Walker is the guy that is under at least my microscope this upcoming season who needs to show whether his trajectory is sp- going to spike and he's going to be that player for the Spurs that they can rely on, or maybe, you know, they they flip him if he's just going to be who he is and what we see from the last two, three years out of Walker. Best guess how the uh, Spurs season ends is uh, coming up short in the uh, postseason. And by that, I mean they just knock on that playoff tournament, play-in tournament uh, door and just come up short. The uh, Spurs are playing in a very stacked Western Conference, although things can change, injuries, injuries, you know, to teams above them, ahead of them, that, that definitely changes things. But with the uh, young core going to be put front and center, and now their chance to see what a close to a real NBA season will look like, instead of a controlled one out in Orlando, we'll see what this team is made of. That's still unproven. So seeing that this young core is going to have to travel now, they didn't do that in Orlando, back-to-backs, they didn't have to do that in Orlando. Uh, you know, dealing with the team, uh, with all NBA teams, and some, again, something they'd have to do in Orlando. We'll see what this team is made of. And I think the, that development course is still going to be, uh, you know, in development for the Spurs. And I think they just come up short uh, in the uh, NBA Western Conference playoffs. 
And finally, we go to rejecting the screen to look to the future and predict some headlines for this Southwest Division. Adam, Noah, take it away. Our Southwest Division headlines of tomorrow as we preview the season. And in that Southwest Division, for me, it is changing of the guard. Zion, Ja, Luca's already there. Over Harden and Russ, who knows where they'll be. And the San Antonio Spurs. Going back the past 10 years, the champions of the Southwest Division. Houston, 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 San Antonio, San Antonio, Houston, San Antonio, San Antonio, San Antonio, San Antonio. And then there was Dallas when they won it in 2010-2011. So the past 10 years has either been Houston or San Antonio. And because of a changing of the guard, we will have a new Southwest Division champion this year. I don't know who it's going to be. That's not part of the headline. I just know that it's going to be somebody other than the Spurs or Houston. Well, I'm sort of on the same path there, Noah. For me, the Southwest headline is, we didn't know what we didn't know. Because there are a lot of questions in the Southwest, and they will be answered and leaving us head-scratching later in the season. Let's start with the Rockets. Who are they? You lose your head coach. You lose Daryl Morey. We forget Clint Capella, who was a staple of that team. He's not on that team anymore. Remember, he was traded for Robin, Robert Covington, who's also not there anymore. They do add DeMarcus Cousins and Christian Wood. What are the Rockets under Steven Silas? The Mavs, can they take the leap simply through experience? We would think they could just because of what Luka and Porzingis bring to the table. But they still have to prove it on the court. And as you said, there's a lot of history there with the teams from Texas that aren't named the Mavericks. So we talk about the Spurs. Are they starting over? Would certainly seem so. But they do have a talented young core, especially in the backcourt. And then they add Devin Vassell. This was a team that struggled defensively, 25th in opponents' points per game. They're going to be better on that end of the floor just because they have Vassell alone. The Grizzlies, how good can their defense be? They were 15th in defensive rating. But no, all of a sudden, with DeAnthony Melton, Justice Winslow, Brandon Clark a year older, everyone understanding they've got to commit to the defensive end, a healthy Jaron Jackson, they could actually be much, much improved on the defensive end, making them, as you talk about before, a playoff team. And finally, New Orleans. Is Zion healthy enough to be dominant? We saw what he did in stretches. But the second question is, does it make others better even when he is? Remember, this team was just 11-13 and 13 in the 24 games that he played. Even though he was truly dominant in those games, 58% from the floor, 43% from three, and did it all under 30 minutes a game. But he's got to be healthy to play major minutes this year. They added Kira Lewis. You talk about guys like Josh Hart. Adding an Eric Bledsoe. Of course, Brandon Ingram is ready to explode. But the Southwest is full of questions. And at some point, we will say, we just didn't know what we didn't know.
Thanks so much for listening. We've got previews on all 30 teams coming soon or on the Locked On NBA feed right now, depending on when you are listening. Subscribe to Locked On NBA and your favorite team podcast if you have not already. Stay safe, stay warm, enjoy the NBA season, everybody. Bye.